right. There's Trent. Awesome. There we go. Trent, you should be able to speak now. I'm here. I'm here. Hold on one second. Let me see if I can get <laughs> send this out. Awesome. I appreciate it. What does this do? All right, there we go. All right, man. Thanks for inviting me onto the onto the show. And um great to get connected and everything like that. Um I look forward to talking about this topic a lot. Yeah, absolutely. I'm hoping some people join in. I understand if people aren't going to immediately join in. Um, you know, obviously it's a Tuesday. Not everyone likes uh Twitter on a Tuesday. So <laughs> um but you know, definitely appreciate you you coming on to to talk about this. I feel that you know, there's been a lot that's happened with esports for quite some time that hasn't been talked about and it sort of needs to be talked about. So I'm glad to have you, you know, and, and everything. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, I posted that, that thread today about esports partnerships in the community, uh, for those, you know, listening after and, uh, those joining in on the live, I run in a community called esports business network. It's a, it's a new feature on Twitter and I'm trying to build up the audience in there and start the conversation and everything like that. And I had a, like a 15 point thread, and that's how we got connected and, and started the idea of, of uh, me joining you on the podcast and doing this first live audio session. Yeah, absolutely. You know, again, like I, I really appreciate you, um, you know, bringing this like point of view and, and everything and, and willing to, to talk about it. Um, I apologize guys. If you hear like any, background audio i'm going to be uh on my in my computer at least having hopefully the audio um from the spaces playing that way or if not uh it doesn't matter necessarily um but i at least want to try to have it um hopefully um if not you know it is what it is um but you know ultimately um you know trying i certainly agree with, with your standpoints on things um and, and how I feel that, um, again, we, we really need to talk about these things. So, uh, first off, if you want to kind of give a little bit of, uh, insight to, you know, this thread that, that you talked about, um, I'd certainly love to, to start off there. Yeah. So first off, um, let me kind of give a little bit of a history to how I got involved in esports, and then go from there for your audience. So, uh, my name's Trent Knox. Um, I have been in and around the esports space since about 2012. Um, I went to the University of Hawaii and um, studied digital cinema there, and got um, kind of involved on the local scene um, for StarCraft II at the time, and um, was active somewhat in uh, like the GOM TV ch- chats and. Um, on Twitch in the early days. Uh, I didn't actually activate a Twitch account until 2015, but um, I got involved with that and then um, went to, uh, I got, I'm hearing some feedback. It might be the, the uh, no, no, that's my, that's my, my side of things. So that, that, that's my, that's on my end. So I'll, I'll mute here. So. Gotcha. There we go. There we go. So then, um, I uh, went from 
there to uh, back to Austin. And then uh, 2018 got more involved with um, with gaming and esports uh, at a professional level, more on the business to business side. Uh, I went to South by Southwest and then DreamHack and then Overwatch League and Call of Duty League and Riot, uh, League of Legends, LCS type stuff. And so what what, what all of that transpires into uh, today where I'm just seeing a lot of like discrepancies and issues with partnerships and the and the term partnerships in the gaming and esports space, um, which motivated me to make this Twitter thread um, about like what the process is when an influencer, we use the word influencer in exchange for streamer or content creator or whatever the case may be. Um, and their process of like agreeing to a contract that comes from a brand or um, or sponsor or any affiliated uh, opportunity that they might come across. And, you know, my issue, and the, the, the problem that I was presenting is that a lot of content creators, streamers, influencers get kind of the wool pulled over their eyes when it comes to starting out in this business, or let's call it industry, um, being by being offered different sorts of affiliate deals, whether that be food and beverage, like um, beef jerky, energy drinks, um, even these meal supplements or like full on meal delivery services. And they're told like it's going to be so much opportunity if they promote it to their audience. And then, you know, um, in some circumstances, you know, those brands either, um, you know, pivot in a different direction or they start selling a competitive product to another affiliate that they're working with, which puts them like in the point of contention between some of their, um, the brands that they work with. And so that's where this kind of conversation started. And, you know, I'd love to hear your feedback and then kind of go from there. Yeah. I mean, certainly, you know, as someone who has been in the, space for you know quite some time one one of the things i always deal with is this sort of um way that like brands and agencies and influencers and all that reach out and it's one of those things that i find generally to be uh like a lot of people don't realize how it actually comes about um you know and and so like you know first off like you mentioned um, and I have the Twitter thread like pulled up in front of me is that like a lot of these terms, um, it, like for instance, you mentioned like um, an influencer not being able to engage with like relationships outside of that contract. Right. Mm -hmm. So, you know, for instance, like uh, there's a couple of creators who I know who are part of esports teams and um, we're like advising with different startups and some of those um startups like you know they ask like hey can you reach out to people can you do this and this for us and they're like no i can't because my esports contract 
you know, first off states that I'm not allowed to do any outside business, which is like, you know, ridiculous as is for sure. Um, when, when you think about it, um, on top of that, like there's a lot of, um, especially with these partnership agreements where like people get taken advantage of. Right. And, um, I talked about this with a, a really well-known lawyer recently on a, one of his Twitter spaces. I, I forget the name of him. I, I, I apologize because I'm going to remember it after this um, about how creators get taken advantage of so often, whether it is from the perspective of a typical um, influencer signing to an org, whether it's an influencer signing a partnership or sponsorship type of agreement. Um, and especially again, like you see this with a lot of other ones where it's a non-compete. So like you risk across the board um, so many like terrifying things happening um, as well. Yeah. I was about to say, yeah. um, Oh, did I just drop off? Am I still there? Yep, I'm still here. Okay, I'm sorry. So I was about to say that um, that's a good point you make there with the the fact that there are so many different terminologies and there's the common, you know, uh, definition of a lot of these words. And then there's the legalese definition. And, you know, neither I'm not, you know, I don't know your background, but I can tell you from my point of view that I am not an attorney and I work with a couple of great attorneys who do speak on these subject matters and they have a podcast as well. Um, the law of esports podcast. I want to give them a shout out and they talk about these subjects about like contracts and, and whatnot. You know, the, the big thing you mentioned there was the, the fact of non-compete. And I, I mentioned it, I think in the thread, but I can't remember exactly what point it was that, Many of these brands are being um, operated by entrepreneurs who are, you know, startups of their own. You know, I, I've been in, uh, you know, you could categorize what I do to be the kind of the same position um, as many of these platforms or, or you know, product oriented businesses for the gaming and esports industry. Um, And, you know, they they don't have a whole lot of capital to be deploying on influencers. And so they're not necessarily um, prepared to be like doing good business, in my opinion, with influencers of any type, whether that be, Micro influencers are um, uh, yeah. effectively celebrities, like I mentioned at the very end, with like the XQCs and whatnot. Yeah, I mean, certainly, you know, it, it's one of those things that um, I don't think people realize is like a lot of esports orgs, even some of the bigger ones like Phase, are not profitable. They're hemorrhaging cash. They're missing their earnings. You look at. Um, other organizations out there across the board, they are just subsequently like, re- like I-, I guarantee you a big reason as to why over the last couple of years you've probably seen a lot of like uh, companies shut down or startups or esports orgs to be more exact, um, like shutting down is because 
esports is a so cash heavy intensive um operation that like it is so hard to get yourself out of because the thing i learned um without realizing over time is like esports is great to grow in and like that's how to build somewhat a massive audience unless you're like building a stream team that has tons of people that are very well known and, and building something like a limitless or a horizon union or whatever the case may be but also from an esports perspective it's just so cash intensive that a lot of brands have had to shut down. A lot of brands are going to other, like there's a lot of teams who are going to other owners and asking like, Hey, do you want to invest in us? Right. I had two teams from the Fortnite space reach out to me and be like, do you know, like we want, you know, we need your you know potential investment in our organization or would you like to invest in us? I even had a really well-known, like, I would say top 20 esports organization in the world. Like, has, like most people would be shocked to know the name that came to me. It was like, would you like to be part of our series round of investing? Because, like, that, and that person had to reach out to me on LinkedIn of all, or not LinkedIn, actually, Slack of all places mm -hmm. at first, you know, and for you to have to message to me on Slack when there are tons of VCs out there with the back, like with the background that this one organization had, would like probably like crater the confidence of a lot of people in esports, like across the board. Um, on top of that, like you know, you you bring up um, people like what happened with XQC is that like. You know, again, like 99% of influencers sign these contracts, they get locked in them, they're, you know, like until the term dies, really. And, and, and you know, like in the case of um, people like XQC or Ninja or um, I'm forgetting the other person, but like when Ninja and someone else were at Mixer, like when Mixer shut down, they got paid out their contracts, like the remaining of it, like their attorneys went and got paid out everything. Right. So, like, I, I certainly agree with you that, like, a lot of these deals that are being made, whether it's from an influencer to a company doing a partnership, a streaming deal, whatever the case may be, um, is certainly, like, really um, annoying. Yeah. And I want to I want to take a, a moment to for the both of us to say, you know, I think this goes um, for both of us is that. You know, there's a disclaimer that this is not business or legal advice. Um, so yeah. do as you may with this information. But um, you you nailed a few different things. And I'm curious. I, I, I mean, we're, this is, one, a, a great opportunity to be on your show and everything that's done for you. Give me the opportunity to speak to your audience. But my question is, is um, for you is, I'm not sure. How old are you? I'm 22. You're 22, right? So you know, you're not 14, right? Which would be even more of a, a question as to like how someone would be uh, capable of understanding this. But even at 22, I'm I'm a bit frustrated because these issues shouldn't be of concern to someone um, of your generation, right? It means that a lot of problems haven't been solved by previous generations of esports professionals and we can go into the fact that 
a lot of opportunity has been gate kept, you know, from from folks that are, are were in my generation, and now I feel like that's kind of you know being put into your lap now, um, in in the fact that now the generation that you're that you come from is now faced with these same sort of cumbersome uh, ex- environment uh, of problems that could have been solved. I think, you know, 10 years ago, if folks had stopped to think about the, the, where the most competitive players are going to come from, right. It's not going to be coming from the, the families that can afford these crazy rigged out PCs. It's going to come from the kids who are super hungry and competitive that have a reason for wanting to win those prize pools. Right. And so, so sorry for cutting you off. No, no, no worries. Give a little bit of, I know this is the first time we really like ever chatted. I've been in the esports and the content space for the last 10 years. Mm -hmm. So like, like my esports team in less than a hundred days turns 10 years old. So I've seen like the, you know, this trend happening for a very long time of esports teams running out of liquidity or just flat out gaming people or companies running out of liquidity and not being, you know, prepared for what comes of that. Right. So, you know, I, I apologize for not giving that like context ahead of time. Um, but, you know, like certainly it is something that I, I've been aware of for quite some time. Yeah, ten years of it. So you, I mean, that would that would make you like twelve years old. And yeah, you know, I'm, so sure, I started, I'm sure. I started making content when I was twelve, and then got like my my esports team. We originally started as just a YouTube like community group back in 2013, and by like 2015, we were in esports. When you know that was like the thing you know blowing up like you know, i mean we were we always talked about like competitive call of duty was a, a thing we did and like sniping and some other stuff but eventually like gradually by 20 mid to late 2015 we were in esports yeah and so that that's interesting so about you know seven years ago now right maybe eight years yeah. almost so what's interesting about that so like two years into your experience in the gaming and esports industry you started to to really see the these issues, right? Is that what you're saying? So I would say that like from 2015 onward, yeah. I I definitely started to see these cuz like and, and definitely experienced it a little bit of myself actually as well, right? Mm-hmm. You know, the reason Lincoln got into esports was that it was not monetarily like nothing we've ever done is to create a profit because the, the way I've always ran awaken, you know, is that this is an esports team, a community, a content creation organization at its core, just trying to help build careers, help people like scale themselves and also develop people It has never once been about profit, right? There are times where, yes, if I, if we place in the money, I say, hey, give us what we're rightfully due, you know, but otherwise, like, I don't care. I keep the esports side of things very little, ca- like, um, cash burned, so I don't have to worry about these things, 
right? Or, you know, or like we very highly budget things out between, um, you know, rosters that we have and, you know, the rosters that we spend on some of our, our sister organizations that are under our umbrella. So that again, like ultimately things don't cost as much, right? Like during the, um, the pandemic, especially like 2020, 2021, we were not, you know, um, we, we never paid for a team for a, a CDL online major. We, you know, we, we ran primarily, I, I mean, I'm sure we had, um, I think we did some Counter-Strike and some Rainbow Six and stuff like that, um, which were very, like, again, low, like, cost, you know, um, in, in terms of things. Like, you know, a season of CSGO is, like, $60 compared to, like, one major for Call of Duty, which is, like, hundreds upon hundreds of dollars before factoring travel and hotel. But so getting back to what I'm saying is, like, I certainly have been aware for, like, 2016 onward that – Esports teams are not profitable, should not like at a large scale. Like, unless you're one of the top 10 big esports uh, organizations out there, um, you should not be focusing on whether or not you make profit off an event or like any of this. Like, there's actually a really good conversation that um, some owners were having, and, and this was over Twitter and, and everything, and, and I was uh, included in this where. Um, with this recent um, Call of Duty Minnesota event that just happened, there were a lot of teams, top eight, top 16, and even like in the top 64, or I think it was primarily top 64 that were wanting like full, you know, full funding for the event or wanting team pass reimbursement, hotel flights, you know, all this and that with like a couple weeks out from the event. And a lot of people don't realize that in the Call of Duty space, um, you have to essentially have a top eight to top 16 team just to essentially like break even or make profit, right? Like that's how terrifying it's been over the last couple of years is that like if you don't place that top eight to top 16 as a challengers team, then an organization basically just spent thousands upon thousands of dollars to basically send a team to an event for potential exposure, even in a league when there is no exposure, right? Like 2019 Call of Duty before it franchised was actively streaming the amateur bracket, right? The open bracket matches. As they franchised, they've not done that. And, you know, like that hurts, you know, um, like teams, rosters, everything in, in between. Um, you know, so like, you know, that's the thing is that like, and that's why you see so many organizations so heavily invest. Like, this is why I'll give it a couple examples. 100 Thieves has raised like collectively, let's say $100 million at this point, right? What have they been doing with that money? Merchandise, buying companies, creating a video game, all sorts of other stuff plus the esports right but like you look at uh, how coming out the gate their content facilities the cash app compound you look mm-hmm. at the production value behind what they do uh high ground all the you know the same thing you see with like face clan where they bought the energy drink brand control that you know you see this with optic where they've bought different brands 
they bought back the esports stadium in Arlington. Why do they do it? Because like one, they can, and two, because all those over time will create more cash flow and revenue than the organization's rosters actually will. Wow, man. Um, I mean, both, both those <laughs> I know, last two. It's kind of a bomb like, you know, this is why, like, um, the score esports actually just went through, like, phases, uh, third quarter filings and noted that, like, phase is not looking good from a profitability standpoint. Like, they're having trouble trying to get, um, you know, like, they're, you know, they're, they're suddenly good at what they do, but they, you know, are trying to realize, like, hey, having Snoop Dogg on the board of directors is, you know, it's a good thing. But it's not necessarily a great thing if you're trying to establish a company to target Gen Z when, like, Gen Z, first off, is not really going to know who Snoop Dogg is. But also, at the same time, you have the problem of turning Gen Z hype into revenue. Yeah. And the your last two, um, you know, comments and everything that you said there There, there's a lot to unpack um in some ways you know you've got uh, a plethora of more competitive gaming experience than i do um and and coming in from that perspective um it's slightly it's slightly different than where i'm coming from um and you know you hit a lot of notes that are you know closer to what I do than than what what like I guess the the real esports label is um, because I work primarily more on the entertainment side of esports than the competitive side yeah. um, and what's so interesting about that is you know you spoke about Call of Duty and all of that and I recently had a post on TikTok that I had a, had some backlash um, about that that people mentioned that I uh, they kind of they thought that I'm a like a, a Call of Duty FPS world sweaty because all of the examples that I used were uh, FPS games in, in the con in the post that I'd made um, and so I'll, I'll try with with what I'm gonna say here to try and be more generalistic across the board but listen to what you know Tristan's saying here because these are you know the challengers are and, and of the world, the contenders also on Overwatch and everything like that are what feed into what is considered like the true tier one professional leagues and whatnot. You know, people do get drafted up from from challengers to pro orgs like a phase clan yeah. and whatnot. So there there is a there is a um, authenticity to professional esports. There's, there's a value the, the- the way uh, I, I think you're trying to frame it is there's a beneficial value in these rosters and drafting a player from an amateur up to the, the pro rosters, creating more value for organization or, you know, um, more social value uh, and brand value for, mm-hmm. you know, organizations um, across the board. I, I hope that's what we correct and in, in, in where you're going. Well, so the post that I had made was that effectively esports at this state is not competitive; it's entertainment. Um, it's closer to music industry, fashion industry, music industry, 
um, I think I might have mentioned the same things twice, movie industry, I should say, um, than it is, you know, uh, traditional sports leagues like the NHL, NBA, NFL, etc. Um, and I didn't say it that way in the in the post. I should have, but um, that's where I think people got maybe confused. Was I wasn't talking about leagues? Should have been talking about leagues. I was talking about actual sports. You know, so when when people talk about path to pro, right? So yeah. that's where we're talking about amateur players that are that are basically going through a farm league of the challengers bracket into professional league. I always say this to, to folks who are like new to esports in a way that the there's enough money if if you are truly competitive to be playing in in the so so called tier three tier th- two esports space if you're you know if your team is open minded to to like uh, wager matches cash games. Um, unsanctioned tournaments and these sort of things. Now, I I would have to you know lean on your experience to see see is there, has there ever been you know any pushback about those things from a Call of Duty? I don't I don't know. I know it is the it is the truth when it comes to the fighting game communities and more specifically Smash when there's any unsanctioned esports teams or unsanctioned esports competitions the developers shut the game down or shut the tournament down yeah i know that situation just sort of happened with the smash world tour and panda and i think what um their former ceo was doing was absolutely disgusting like when i started reading into it where he was going to a lot of these tournament operators and saying you know nintendo's not going to look pretty favorably on you if I have anything to do about it or saying like, Oh, like, don't worry. They won't be around after next year. Like, you know, insinuating he would get a, a, an operator shut down. I, I certainly like, I think that that's one of the most deplorable things you can do as an executive, especially the owner uh, of a, you know, another tournament operator. Cause you know, uh, essentially dug his grave, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> you know, and, and, and like, I, you know, I was looking at it the whole time and being like, why would you do this? Um, you know, additionally, though, I, I agree. Esports these days is turning more into entertainment than it is and like an entertainment and a business venture than it, it, it was in the past. Right. You know, these broadcast rights for um, these leagues, like I forget what what um, YouTube first paid for. The Overwatch League, what they're currently paying for the Call of Duty League. Um, I, I know when it was like under Twitch, um, I think that they were paying like when the Overwatch League was under Twitch, I believe the first year is like $60 million. I could be very wrong on this, but like I remember that. And or at least like it was a couple tens of millions of dollars. Mm-hmm. And you have to wonder like what that you know what the broadcast rights would be worth with today if they were to re-extend that contract you're talking hundreds of millions of dollars based off viewership and data and and all these sorts of things um so like i i agree with you there you know e- even like you look at um let's say like the fortnite world cup for instance they, you know epic games treated that like a whole spectacle they rented out one of the biggest or they they hosted it in one of the biggest 
stadiums in New York. They made it a whole like experience. They did all sorts of things around the city, you know, like, so I, I agree with you. Esports is becoming more of a entertainment um, entity than it is like a competitive, right? Which I'm not saying is a bad thing. Uh, it's good to be competitive and, and be entertaining at the same time. Um, but you know, you know, you're valuing one over the other in terms of value and holistic approach than you do anything else. Yeah, and I'm stepping up this ladder as carefully as possible because when I did uh, when I did make this post and why I got so many trolls, you know, in the comments, you know, disagreeing and saying different things was that I said a very trolly thing when it comes to gaming and esports. I said that it it's scripted. I just said it's scripted, right? So that has a very negative connotation attached to it from a perspective yeah. of the fact that I'm I'm saying that some of these players, if stacked up against other, you know, players in this in the in the amateur side, they wouldn't be able to outperform. But because they oh, have no, absolutely. I mean, there's always been, I would say to some extent, yeah. a you know a lot of people would like to believe it's a randomized bracket and bracket. And I think with some uh, tournament organizers, especially in the amateur space, um, that's certainly how it is, is that it is very much um, sort of uh, randomized, but you do have the occasional aspect of things where esports is, um, you know, very much like pitting. And I know this cause I tried running a tournament operator at one time. And I, I specifically remember, I was like, I'm going to put this team who's in this country against this team who's in this country. This is going to be the rival that they have. Mm-hmm. This is this team and this is their rival. You know, so like, you know, certainly like, you know, it is to that extent. Well, that's like, the less egregious. That's the less yeah. egregious reality. <laughs> yeah. You know, um, but no, like I, I get what you're saying. And, and you know, um how you know, controversial uh, do you want to get? Because we could get down to match fixing. Like, I, I, I'm not going to get down to any of that because there is more match fixing on a individual player level than there is at a corporatized level. Like, you know, if we were saying like, you know, oh, Activision employees or Riot Game employees allegedly are betting on matches, that be one thing versus um, just like, hey, you know. The, the things that have happened in CSGO or in other things, like, you know, it's it's one of those things that I don't think it, there's never been a um, an aspect of. So I don't think we really need to touch on that. I'd love to go back, though, to um, the original like part of this conversation we were having about influencers, uh, especially from an entertainment standpoint where, um, you know, and, and, you know, bring up like how, um, and whether or not this can apply to esports, but also just the problems that organizations are having with partnerships mm-hmm. and, and yeah. uh, like monetizing, but also creating value out of those partnerships. Well, yeah, I mean, let's just t- tie a bow on that on that competitive aspect for a bit here. Um, sure. In order to afford to be competitive, even if you are cheating in the games you have to have money to do it and that's where that that component of of the influence 
comes in where, you know, eyeballs, you know, um, right now we live in the attention economy and advertisers are spending, you know, on average, um, 50 cents to a dollar for a thousand views or something like that. Um, yeah. So, um, I, I just want to say, like, um, he, he's not wrong on that number. I, I can verify that. And well, it definitely depends, um, you know, what your YouTube looks like or, you know, what audience the, you're, you're uh, targeting. Because, like, a FaZe Clan is less uh, family friendly than, a you know, a, a Cloud9 or something like that. So, there, sure. there are going to be certain advertisers where you might get a higher CPM or whatnot. But, um, you know... On average, you know, micro influencers to macro influencers, that's about right. So what what ends up happening is is content creators start out generally as independent um, operators. So they don't they're not signed to an org, they don't have an agent, they don't have a manager, they don't have legal uh, you name yeah. it. They don't have it. They might have their parents, right? And in that care, yeah. in that circumstance, I don't know if that's the case with you, but um, so I, so I have, I I've had it in the past with a lot. The big time where I've ever dealt with parents mm-hmm. on in fortunate influencer side is breaking down to them, you know, first off, like who I am, what my organization does, um, and then like ultimately talking about. You know, if it's a player, right, like my organization, we used to recruit people who were 15, 16, 17 years old. Um, so, like, and, and, you know, that was because, like, there were really talented 15, 16-year-olds in um, the CSGO space or in, like, League of Legends space or whatever, the, you know, the case may be, even in some of the Battle Royales out there. Like, Fortnite, like, is predominantly 15 to 17-year-olds, right? And I would have to explain to a lot of these parents – um, ultimately that like the, the thing is, is that organ you know, we want to help build that, you know, your son or daughter's career in esports. um, you know, ha- having sponsors, having the connection, having obviously the financial, um, aspect of things covered, whereas a player won't and wouldn't have to, to worry about that. Right. So like, that's one of the things, um, across the board that, uh, I, I do always like discuss about with, with parents uh, from a content career standpoint. A lot of times I've never really had to deal with that. It's more always just talking independently with that creator. Um, now, like one of the things with my organization is that we do have an in-house talent agency, very similar to how like team liquid and TSM and phase clan have their own. Right. And, and it's not a bad thing. Um, by any means right you know I don't force any of my members to be part of it but I do say as a benefit of joining hey we have an in-house talent agency we can work on getting you partnerships brand affiliation deals sponsorships you know building connections to help you but it is something that we're not going to force on you the same way where we don't force contracts on people both with my, you know, content creator and my esports player contracts uh, that I, I've had, you know, over time, we never once put a content creator or a player into a, a 
um, a buyout. You know, so, so like you know, you you see this with a lot of creators, a lot of um, players, where they go, I want to leave my org, I'm not happy, but I have to pay a buyout to get out. I saw that so many times where I basically said, uh, I don't want that to to be the case. So um, also, Mike, I appreciate you 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 joining in here. Uh, I just wanted to quickly acknowledge that that you jumped in here. Um, if, if you have anything to say on, on the conversation, uh, definitely feel free to request and, and uh, we'll bring you up here. But, you know, I, I definitely agree. Um, Trent, move like where you're going. Yeah, I'm listening to what you, your experiences and, and everything. And, you know, I always come from the, the, the perspective of an individual content creator um, you know, I've worked with a ton of different freelancers and contractors, um, in different mediums, uh, of content creation. And so I'm sort of taking experience from different industries and coupling them up when it does come to the esports industry, um, my experience comes more primarily from the B2B side when it comes to esports, but when it comes to like more gaming stuff, I've done some B2C type contracts and um, some other things. Uh, I stay kind of in my lane when it comes to esports, so I'm not like working a lot with players or uh, tournaments or anything like that. Sometimes I'll dabble into it, but nothing really too heavy because when you start getting into that space, the management, the team owners, the legal, um, the parents, the uh, friends and friends and other family that get associated with this talent component, can can end up being problematic and so you know um as an individual content creator that's maybe like a you know making content on on a twitch or um making youtube videos that's a lot easier because i can present to them on a b2b model um an opportunity that's that isn't going to be where the splits are five or six ways to Sunday, like I mentioned in the thread. So um, I, I really, you know, think that what you're doing is, with your content creators is one of the good ways to, to, to do negotiations when representing a content creator because you are doing it in a way that you're, um, you're looking out for their interests but of course, you have your own business interests is operating sort of as an agency for these content creators. So, you know, you can't necessarily work with super small content creators because they're not necessarily going to be bringing in a whole lot of revenue, right? And then taking 15 to 25% of the sponsorship or the, their, you know, affiliate deals that you bring on bring to them is not like fiscally responsible. I shouldn't say responsible, but it's not like, you know, um, 
what's the right terminology for this? Like, it just doesn't ethical. seem right. Yeah, ethical, right? Physically ethical. So I think it also comes down to the fact that I myself am a content creator. I, you know, I want to be as friendly to content creators as I possibly can. Now, let's be very clear. I take no percentage of revenue from any of my streamers, past, present, or in the future, right? I take no percentage of sponsorship deals that they have externally or internally, right? I take no percentage of their stream revenues, of their YouTube revenues, if they make any. I take none of that. And the reason why is, again, simply, I don't care about revenue, right? I don't need, like, I can run my esports org or, you know, just awaken as a whole, whether it's, you know, the esports, the content, the merch, any of the sister businesses that we have, practically at a cost to where it is not bleeding me dry to do this, right? Like, you know, this is why, like, you know, when you see teams spending, you know, hundreds or thousands of dollars on a logo, you know, to rebrand after, you know, let's say three, four, five years, I'm not doing that. You look mm. at, you know, there are teams that are throwing, there are like teams throwing around $300 a month to, you know, sign Twitch partners, right? And, you know, it's like, that. that's great and all. Like, all the more to them. I'm not going to do that because, like, I have this... um sort of stance on esports and content and everything when it comes to gaming. And it's sort of the same thing with business is that the smartest will outlive the spenders, right? If you're someone that's spending like, you know, let's say $8,000 here on a Call of Duty team, spending, let's say, you know, three grand on content creators, you're buying a team house, you're doing all this production equipment, everything in between, Right you eventually are going to bleed out somewhere, right? Like it is historical with teams that have had streaming houses, right? Or just brands in general that have had streaming houses. They inevitably end up in a massive failure, right? Like you look at FaZe, FaZe no longer has the FaZe houses that it used to. You look at um, the teams like Red Reserve, which came under, from under FaZe Clan originally and, and split off which no longer exists because they merged with another organization who didn't understand the culture of Red Reserve. And Red Reserve itself had a massive team house that basically all the members in the team house split from the organization because they didn't agree with Orbit. You look at, um, you know, Ross, I mean, you look at other teams out there that have, uh, or not even teams, let's say from an entertainment standpoint, you look at what happened with the mob, right? Like that crashed and burned, you know, to a point where, like, we, you know, saw a, um, you know, a whole Twitter drama about it. You look at uh, brands out there like um, Offline TV, which Pokemon and all of them were a part of. There's still drama coming out of that, even in this year, right? And that, you know, like all those people split a very long time ago. You look at what's happening with other groups like OTK who, you know, I mean, again, like, it's a widespread issue um, across the board. I think additionally, um, the other thing to, to keep in mind, right, is that, um, you know, like, when, even with my talent agency, which is a separate uh, business operation that I have, 
I've always made it very clear to my uh, talent. I do not work for you. I am going to work with you. That does not mean that I am here to trap you in a 360 deal and, again, like in your words, screw people seven ways to Sunday. It is that I genuinely want to help somebody and be a helping hand, not a, you know, like, because I come from, I'm originally from Los Angeles. I know what the entertainment industry, what the talent industry has sucked out of people, and it's deplorable, okay? Um, so like I take all these lessons that I see and I, you know, I very much learn quickly, Hey, this is what you should not do that these bigger people in bigger positions than you are doing and look at how it's screwing up for them. So it's these types of things that like people need to, to realize, um, across the board. I think you're, you, you got to a point at which, which really resonates with me and, you know, makes me start thinking of like, it's, it's conversations like these that I just don't think are, are happening at scale enough to get to the points of establishment. So what, when you started to go to the, toward the AOTK rail, I was like, ah, you're about to, you're about to say, you're about to say it. And then you went a different direction. (laughs) So then I was like, okay, wait, okay. So we're not where I wanted to go with this in a sense is, you talked about um, how basically smaller team houses funnel into larger team houses. And this is something I've actually never really talked about. Well, not, what I mainly was talking about with team houses is that team houses historically, at, like as a cash purchase or as a like business investment for whether it is a esports organization a content brand a stream team a media property has historically failed like across the board right you know the the only cases in which i i think teams are still doing is like you know um hundred thieves like does pick where like within a certain aspect of where members live or like has a compound obviously like the the rocket mortgage team house um cloud nine has always had one tsm has one um team liquid i think they used to but now they just have like one little like headquarters in santa monica um and then like you know you look at some of these other organizations out there like optic which has you know the 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 house there in frisco for some of the members and like um so forth but like that's what i was saying is like you know outside of the bigger teams when you look at these smaller, like couple thousand followers to, you know, your sort of larger, like stream teams that are susceptible to drama and, and just like fatigue over time, it ends up like, you know, you, you'll see a team get like a, a house that is, let's say on a, you know, typically a renting basis, you know, which might be a year long contract or, you know, I've seen, I've never seen a team um, outside of like ones that have millions of dollars invested into them where they've either outright bought a property or mortgaged it. But like the problem you see is that like, again, um, like an offline TV or OTK, they'll buy a team house um, for all these members to live in. 
And eventually, like a year, year and a half later, you know, half the people in that, you know, um, house are no longer there because of drama or be, or just like the house itself caused the organization to go into, you know, um, financial disarray. Well, I, I like where you're going with this. I think that it's important maybe to preface a little bit about what the purpose of a team house is. Um, and um, and then the, the reason why I wanted to go in this direction a little bit is because of the fact that the eSports Awards just concluded about a week yeah. ago. And what kind of frustrated me and and it it's it's weirdly kind of like how each esports awards has gotten just a little bit better and a little bit better over the course of like its existence you know it's less you know actually the the my grievances with the esports awards seem to change each year and this particular year i felt that it was like by giving the content series of the year to the show uh, players just felt yeah. like uh, that somebody was laughing in the face of authentic esports. It was like the quintessential. I, I would start, I'm sorry for cutting you off there. Yeah, no I would disagree to a point because. Those types of documentaries, like players. Now, I granted, I've not seen it because I know it's on Paramount Plus, and I don't have Paramount Plus. But a lot of those documentaries, they do Wait, try hold on. to. It's not a documentary; it's a mockumentary. So, well, well, I, I've not seen. So that's why I'm saying documentary, right? Like I have not seen it with my own eyes, so I cannot definitively say, like, yes, this is a, a joke you know, a series or something of that nature, right? Oh, I'm okay. being fair, giving the benefit of the doubt on my end because I've not seen it. Well, right? it's by, by, I, by definition I, without having seen it. If I, if I, if I were to go download Paramount Plus today and, you know, sign up and like watch it and, you know, like can tell that like, hey, a lot of the points that you're bringing up in this are not actually, or, or like you're not actively, um, portraying esports in the the right way and the right like light, I would def- I would certainly criticize it. Um, you know, in in those regards. So, um, well, I, I can certainly- what's so what's so interesting about that is that the that's the region reason. The reason is that yes, it's a very accurate representation of what esports is because they are trying to. The film is a mockumentary by like it's categorization because it's not it's not real it's not set in the real world it's set in a fictitious world of league of legends right so it is okay. accurate to the relationships that players have with well, so it's organizations. that player is and again sorry for cutting you off it's fair to sort of characterize that players um and again i've not seen it is Sort of like how Rocket Jump treated uh, VGHS back in the day. Um, I'm not familiar with this, but I'll let me see. Rocket so Jump. V, v, uh, v, uh, R- Rocket Jump was uh, 
created by uh, Freddie Wong. Uh, VGH uh, was video game high school, basically like one of the early YouTube web series. Um, but like you know, um, was sort of like sort of the you know the whole idea of competitive gaming, but like at a massive like uh, calling it a high school is kind of a joke because they filmed it in like a really big huge like i think it was a whole campus or something but they put a, like a ton of production into it um but like what you know wasn't like a real world setting well i can't really associate these two but i with the with this particular example it's more aligned with real world and i found that a lot of people thought players was a real world example of uh of the league league of legends because of the fact that people don't follow and this goes back to what i understand why the trolls were coming at me when i was on tiktok saying like you only talk about fps games because a lot and they even they mentioned this on the broadcast of the esports awards so i have to you know give it to them that the, the, the hosts who will really have like a lot of clout in this business did say that you know there's not many commentators who do multi-game commentation yeah like i mean like that's to be fair right like if you're a riot caster you typically stay in the lcs or you i mean like the way the way it is typically is like um there's a few who have gone multi-game okay golden boy is one of those for sure who like you, you know, you can put him in a fighting game. You can put him in or a fighting game commentating role. You can put him in a Call of Duty space. You can put him in Halo. He'll excel. You can do the same with like Courage, right? Um, you know, Courage is, right, yeah. is someone who's in the Call of Duty space. Went over the Fortnite, did exceptionally well even over there. Um, you know, we we miss him in the Call of Duty space for sure. Uh, <laughs> but. Um, like, you know, again, like when you're in Riot, you know, like the LCS ecosystem, really the only, if you get tired of Riot, it's like, hey, um, you know, the closest thing to Riot is really, well, or to LCS really is like Valorant or Overwatch. But, you know, it's like, do I really want to go cast Overwatch? No, I, I want to stick with games I'm comfortable with. The same where like a lot of CS player, uh, CS commentators at a large level are stuck in the CS world because that's a game that they love and they don't want to separate out of, of, of that world. So like, I certainly do um, agree with where you're coming from. Well, so see the reason why I go and talk about this is because from a B to B standpoint, there's no room for singular. There's no room for, for not being multi-game. Like you can't be, single game uh you can't deal make deals on single games on a b2b standpoint and the reason why that is is because the the conversation as it pertains to um like speaking with potential advertisers or anyone in this space to make a make a deal from for you know mass influencer marketing so this this is where this gets to like a bigger picture of like yeah they they're not going to put all of their eggs in a singular basket unless you're talking about make brokering a deal between something like coca-cola and riot 
Riot can then use that money to go to League of Legends and then go to, you know, uh, Valorant and then this new, whatever this new FG, FG, uh, C game is going to be Arcane. I don't know what they end sure. up calling it, right? But then they have an ecosystem for advertiser dollars to come in and then, you know, uh, hopefully, let's say hopefully, or ideal, ideally, we could say for content creators within that singular game environment, like they, they just play League of Legends, sure. um, they will get unfortunately trickled down economics to where they get paid out you know they're the last ones to eat of course at the table because everyone's taking a little bit along the way um but like i said there's not much room for it so as like uh someone like myself i am i am i struggle to know everything that's going on in each little niche community within Rocket League, within uh, League of Legends, within Dota. And it's, and, and then you you kind of were going in this direction that, but didn't say it, that, that these leagues don't necessarily speak the same language, even English. Like CSGO primarily is a European, you know, model, right? It's not like the, the majority of players are Russian-speaking or their, you know, Eastern European language, German. So a, a significant portion of it is European, but there's still, um, and like, this is the thing, right? Like American esports is not, uh, I, I think that there's severely a lot of things that we, we lack in, you know, compared to, um, international esports organizations or operations right you look at like how fanatic uh, I'll, I'll bring it up from a business standpoint first one to do fan memberships first ones to do a crowdfunding as far as it goes with, for an esports team right mm -hmm. um, you look at um some of these other i mean like um having the um having some of these amateur leagues that are treated as your top tier in a sense. Like I'm, you know, I'm blanking on one of them, but like a good friend of mine runs um, Vipiro, and you know, like they're in um, one of the big like European leagues from an aspect of things, and mm -hmm. um, ultimately, um, like when when it comes down to it, I, I'm I'm looking up the name of, of that specific league. Um, you know, but like they, you know, they um, compete in like the EU Pro League, right? Do you look at um, mm -hmm. when, it, it, when you look at uh, some of these other leagues as well out there? Like I, I'm trying to pull up uh, um, one, you know, one of them here. Um, but like, you know, that's a, a big thing that I don't think a lot of people do like realize is that. Um, that's what I wanted to hear from you. That That's exactly what I wanted to hear from you. And that's why advertisers don't know what they're doing in esports, because the consumers don't know what they're doing in esports. Yeah, you know that's certainly the case. Uh, and I, I just looked it up; like it's the UK and Ireland um, circuit, which is part of like Face It Hub. Um, face, so, face it, ESL, Face it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Well, basically, it's separate, but like there's UK and Ireland circ circuits, um, just like how we have like some amateur ones out here as well in the states. Um, like you're starting to see like pop up more and and everything. Uh, but there's also still like other um, other ones that are more like prominent when it comes down to it. That um, and, and so like it's, I think it's also um, across the board that esports um, operators and, and you know publishers they aren't on the same language a, a lot of the time. You bring this up on the same language is not only advertisers. But also with the audience, with the competitive um, organizations that take part in these leagues. Like, this is just what's happening with Call of Duty, where um, recently Hex, right, the, you know, the founder and, and the CEO of Op. I like uh, where we're going with this, too. I like this. You know, Keep going, man. You're on fire. Podcast and, you know, and he's done this before, and even Nadeshot has done this before, where they vehemently will just tear into... Activision and how they run the, the CDL. I've openly talked about how I hate the way that the Overwatch system is because what they did is when they franchised the Overwatch League, there were all these other community tournament tournaments who really like you know became not you know important, right? Like I remember a year after the Overwatch League was created, I was talking to somebody and I said, like, hey, I just want to get like an Overwatch team out there for console. And somebody said to me, like, there's no tournament circuits for it mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. everything is path to pro challenge or, you know, or whatever, like um, the, the three tiered system or, uh, or path to pro contenders in the Overwatch League that it, which is still around. And I mean, it's easy to say that the Overwatch League, <laughs> does anyone actually care about it anymore? Not really. Oh, Oh, <laughs> spicy! Like I, I mean that. Like genuinely, I remember um, right before the Call of Duty League officially launched. Like I made a video out of a three-part series that I planned on doing, where all I talked about was, in my eyes, why I thought the CDL was going to fail. And you know, like if it's easy for someone like me who is not part of the league. Who has no, no back division to be able to see? Hey, a twenty-five million dollar buy-in is a bad idea. To see some of these other things happening is a bad idea. You know, like it's it, 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 that says something right there. Well, here's the thing. I, I I like where you're going with this. I just want to put some words out there. Is they're they're not saying this directly to people that aren't not a part of their crowd or clique, but what their, you know, their body it's language, their, the way that they, the way that they do things, they basically say to anybody who's attempting to break into the industry to say something like, know your place. And my thing about the definitions, so this is the thing. And when we talk about language is make the definitions clear enough. If you want to, if you, if the egoing and and all of that stuff is 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 supposed to be valid and and vouched and everyone's vouching for everything, make these things clear so as to there be a uh, you know a path to pro. So that uh, factor of things being unclear plays an advantage 
to the established um, operators, org operators, not necessarily turn operators, because not in the it's not in the financial benefit to to uh, tournament operators to prevent people from competing, unless for whatever reason, we're under the sun, and I've seen this happen before, that individuals within the tournament operation want a certain individual to win. So they break the rules or fix the rules so that other people can can win than by going by the rule set, right? So I don't know why that that's the case. So you know? I and I just want to you know say something on this. What um what he what he's saying is sort of I would say an alleged thing. You know, there's always talk of like. Oh, CDL or, um, you know, like this team should have won over this or like they shouldn't have had to rematch this, but they did like, it, you know, I've certainly believed at times like there's a very well-known scandal uh, that I believe in back like five years ago during uh, season zero of Overwatch contenders where my organization, we were just killing it on day one, right? Like we made it all the way to, um, a certain round where we end up playing against Immortals, made them drop a map or, or something at that point. Or we, it, I, or no, uh, it was a 2 0 Immortals, but we made them lose points at, right. at one point in time. And so, like the next day, right, like first team didn't show, second team we beat 2 0, the third team we were one, uh, we were up 1 0, and then an admin comes and says, Your first round team is still waiting to play you guys. Or, you know, they're here waiting for you guys, right? And and then, like, you know, after 40 minutes of, of waiting and killing momentum, then you go and, and be like, oh, sorry, you know, you guys are right. We're, we're going to reset the third round. And then, you know, we end up losing 2-1 because of, of not, like, continuing that momentum. Well, that's, that's a whole different version of griefing. I'm literally <laughs> talking about the rules. Like, I'm talking about if, let's say, you qualify for a Rocket League tournament, uh, a sanctioned tournament, but then who's, like, the biggest Rocket League influencer? Like, I can't think of the name off the top of my head right now. Yeah. Sure. Um, he hosts another know. tournament that's, you know, that's operated by Epic. In the sure. rule set, it says that you cannot, if you competed in the previous sanctioned league tournament, you can't also play in the uh, in the Creator Cup, right? You can't do both because you've already qualified for for the league to play and, so and, and I, things. So I'm trying to understand it. It's saying if you qualified for. It's essentially like, saying pros can't go and compete against amateurs if they're if they're already qualified for tournament up uh, com competition in league based of events and it's uh, and sort yeah, of. I actually think that that's quite fair, right? Because like the the reason why they don't like you know this is like a really good reason why um, you see this like a lot of substitutes that are on Call of Duty rosters being content creators or. Um, you know, really good pro players, but, right. you know, spend most of their time playing, like, Warzone, or why you see, like, a lot of people, 
um, leaving, you know, CDL organizations to go to just being a Warzone streamer or, you know, whatever is because that means that they're allowed to go compete in these tournaments, these cash cups on, uh, or, or, you know, like whatever's happening with Warzone or these community events or get sent out to things is because, Hey, um, you know, like we're able to do that for you. So like, I think, um, you know, any tournament operator that says, Hey, if you're already signed to a professional organization at a, you know, franchise level or under the, um, substitute roster or the or academy roster of a top you know organization of a certain league that you should not be allowed to go play in these other amateur leagues i think that's a fair thing to to say because that still gives like amateur players the ability to have because let's be fair at that point what you're doing otherwise is saying yeah we can we are perfectly okay of having a skill-based competitive organization, uh, comp- uh, competitive format into our esports, right? Right, right. So, so let me let me clarify. So, what I'm saying is, what I'm saying is, is that I've been in circumstances, seen circumstances where pros broke the rule set and played in the cash games, and then Epic did not enforce the rule set. So, so then the amateur players don't get the 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 prize or don't get to necessarily compete at the level that they So I, I will have to fair. look into like I'll have to look into yeah. you know the situation you're talking about because I'm not familiar with it. Now granted I don't spend my time in the Fortnite scene for a plethora of reasons. Um, <laughs> you know, let, let alone the fact that, that, like, in my personal belief... Well, you, I, just, you just had a Freudian slip, but that's that's cool. I, I, I was keeping it out of the Fortnite scene, specifically using the example of Rocket League. But Well, well I'm, yeah, I'm saying there's many different esports titles that I don't pay attention yeah, yeah, yeah. to. Yeah, just yeah, for yeah. the Like, I, I, I pay attention to them, but like not as much as like I probably used to. Well, it's not um, exclusive. It's it, that's why I'm trying to make it make. That's the yeah. argument that I'm making. This is not exclusive to a particular MOBA, FPS. You're RCS. saying it eventually like could become a wider. This is problem. a widespread behavioral issue. It's not an issue that's exclusive to any competitive esport okay. at all. Sure, it's it's a it's a large scale issue. And so that's the reason why I'm trying to explain is that the behaviors of people in these tournament operators, the uh, the way that the developers even behave, and even the players at a, a, a low schedule, low low level, because a player like you know throwing the computer or doing something crazy doesn't really affect the sponsorship dollars, right? That's sure. just going to get swept under the rug. Maybe that individual player kind of gets a, you know, reprimanded. But when bad behaviors happen at the systematic level, that's when sponsorship dollars go out the door. And that's the problem. That's one of the big problems that we have facing esports right now, aside from the fact that nobody knows what the audience, the audience that's being reached, because sponsorship dollars, they're like, oh, we want to reach. 18 year old males between the ages of uh of 18 and 24 right and and 
what how is that tracked whatsoever i mean twitch doesn't give age you know uh gender is not, not even a dis- topic of discussion in this space and if you do bring it up it's some sort of egregious you know uh conversation right and and so sure. like when i'm selling a deal right and i'm trying to say this is the reason why uh you should go with this influencer agency because they reach this demographic this target audience these interests these things and i'm these deals could be in the form of um it could be a lot of different things but let's just say it's cash right so cash of like $250,000 is the budget i mean someone tell me where i can reach 150 uh not 100 like 150 influencers pretty easy but 15,000 influencers with a $250,000 budget that's specific to the gaming and esports industry in that regard and i'm not losing out on any of the money that i'm spending that's why that's why these these uh you know CPMs are so low. Sure, you know, it's like it, it gets to where the point was like why the thread was the way I wrote it. Sure, individuals have to go in and negotiate their own deals. If you know, I'm just going to be honest. Not you know. The majority of orgs that I've spoken with are not as altruistic as you, you know, you're operating your org. You know, sure. just look at FaZe Clan, right? As, as a, the biggest example of this and the deal with Tifu, you know? So, yeah. like, that, that's still, like, that deal should be studied in universities, collegiate esports programs for the rest of eternity. Just as an example of how not to do it, right? And and that's just like though that's not stopping. It's not like you know that happened and then influencers no longer getting you know bad deals, right? Yeah. And the reason why is like even for myself, like as a B two B influencer of sorts, on a you know not on a content influencer aspect, but like a a networking component and who I know and who I do businesses with, I get stupid proposals where it's like, it's like, uh, uh, agree to this five year term in the case where you're going to be, you know, we're going to have an agreement that we do work for six months and a renewal, uh, uh, you know, a a review period of in, in a year, Anytime, any point, it could be terminated um, by uh, by the company, but you can't terminate the contract. And in addition to that being the case, like termination doesn't guarantee that you're out of the non-compete. So it's like, what in the world? And if you are somebody who doesn't have, if you're just a kid, you know, I'm 29 now. And I've gone through a bunch of bad deals, but the deals are only getting worse, right? And people are, the the companies and and people who are, who have that, don't have that, you know, um, don't have the morals and ethical values associated to doing business. 
are getting better at making people with bad, have bad deals. So I've had gone through, through those experiences where I created content for a local news agency or I created content for a local influencer or small business or something like that. Yeah. And been given uh, like below minimum wage as far as the sponsorship goes or, you know, for the content that was created or even, you know, sold product for companies and gotten not paid based off the commission that I should have been paid or, or gotten such a ridiculous commission split on, on my work that doesn't make any sense. Like it shouldn't even be legal to give those sorts of low commissions, but you know, it continues to happen. And so like we go into the conversation of like, if you're a kid, you're just taking these deals because it's the only deal that you can get. Right. Or at least it's the only, you don't have the, um, the mentorship or the guidance around to, you know, suggest that you shouldn't do something. Right. And then, you know, I don't know what the world looks like in the next six months with chat GBT and all of these AI applications do, you know, are, are, I don't know. I don't have, you know, enough of the ear to the ground as far as it goes with like the youth and youth people as to like their ad- adaptations to how to use these tools and whatnot. But are, it, it, are we going in a direction where, you know, Inf- the information is going to be war- more widely accessible and free to access. And then, you know, as individuals, even myself, not just the youths are going to use that information for the greater good of humanity and an individual. I don't know. I don't know. So I, I, like, I end up, I end up quite, I end up wondering like how kids are going to be able to negotiate these, these contracts so that they can get themselves a, a a reasonable sponsorship deal. Let's say they have a hundred thousand um, TikTok followers, right? And they're creating, you know, um, you know, FPS highlights, right? Sure. Are are they going to be able to use an AI to negotiate the deal and create the content and then get paid out? Like, what what is your like? sense of of what's happening in the creator economy as it relates to like that aspect of of content creation and and deal making yeah i mean that's certainly a a very good question um you know like when it comes down to it I, i i certainly um love that you bring that up what i see happening first off well a lot of brands actually have been stopping like their spend um, towards creators because what I think some have started to realize is that um, like the, the, the thing is compared to like how Instagram has been in the past or uh, some of these other pl- uh, platforms is that the growth um, or like the engagement is not always there, right? Um, like, you know, just because you have a, like, I, I guarantee you Right. If you're basing up an overall vault, like um, um, follower amount versus like what the actual traction of a post is going to get sponsored wise, like 
it's probably a night and day comparison. Like if you were to pull up a sponsored post from Charlie D'Amelio right now, um, you know, whether it's like recent or whatever, it'll be a night and day comparison between like the follower account. So like, you know, you see like a lot of people going, Oh, I have this much. And you know, like, you know, give me this. Whereas like brands, you know, have to look at like, Hey, it's nice that you have, you know, a hundred thousand followers, 500,000, a million, 10 million, hundred million, whatever the case may be. Can you actually justify your numbers? Right? Like if I was to go to my media kit today, uh, I, you know, like I think the, you know, I, I think practically the highest I ever charged for a brand deal as of right now was probably like a hundred dollars. That was with a company that I knew very, very well. Like they're actually the company that my internet is, is, um, ran through. So like, you know, I didn't even negotiate with them. I just said like, yeah, that's pretty fair, you know, across the board. Right. Um, so like, you know, I certainly, I think like that's something you see, um, you know, you, you see a lot of uh, influencers who... Can I ask you a personal question? Go right ahead. Why are you uh, not, you know, um, as uh, money hungry? Because you, you, you talk about that you're not concerned about making money with your, your org. Why is that? The reason why I am not concerned with making money off of anything is like that. And, and well, correction. Okay. There are things that if I wanted to monetize, I can effectively monetize or a lot of it is, you know, a, a sort of long-term thing. Right. Or, you know, a, Hey, we cannot give you money, but we'll give you this in exchange. Right. There are companies who I have done, uh, you know, brand in brand deals with where, I did not get money from them, but I've gotten multiple products from them over time, right? You look at why I heavily still like tell people get an affiliate program partnership out there, treat it like a sponsorship, like whatever they give you, whether it's commission and free products or free products, like treat that as is like, yes, if you're someone who's a full-time creator, like, you know, definitely chase the money, but be open to all these other things, right? Um, the other thing for so you're, me you're is ta- like, you're talking about in-kind sponsorship. So like what, what well, does in-kind me, sponsorship me, do for you? Well, let me, let me kind of finish on with, with my whole thing. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry about the other that. reason why I don't necessarily give as much of a shit about money, like from a content creator standpoint or, you know, all this and that is because I've been at this for 10 years. I got in this. Yes. To make a career like when, like 12 year old me, Thought like within a year of making videos, I was gonna have a hundred thousand subscribers. I was gonna be killing it with MCN. I was gonna be on top of the world. Here's twenty-two year old me saying, if I could go back in time, I'd slap myself across the face and go, "Huh, buddy, that isn't how it works, right?" Like you know, and, and so like I myself have humbled myself, and also I think like you see this with a lot of creators where they make. Let's say a hundred thousand dollars. I mean, not even that. Let's say fifty thousand dollars a year off of doing this. Let's say they make a hundred thousand, two hundred thousand, a million a year off of content creation. Go and look at their personality. You know, three four years ago compared to where they are today, I guarantee you they have changed in some way, shape, or form. You look at a guy like Ninja, who you know met like people loved him when he <clears throat> loved him in the beginning with Fortnite. 
hated him for dropping a master class where he literally did nothing but just say like in one of those like oh there's a bunch of like tutorials and stuff like that on youtube to look at for this specific topic that people were paying money to hear from ninja on how to do right so like you know that's the thing is like the money fucking changes people like you know can i please juxtapose two two content creators against each other just for this for this sake right here Okay, so I wanted to say earlier that I don't have the perspective of managing a large content creator. To be, to be frank, you said Charlie sure. D'Amelio, and that's where my brain went. But sure. I do have the privilege of having been in the room with the largest content creators manager, and sure. so I want to juxtapose Ninja against Mr. Beast, right? Sure. So Ninja's management is is Jessica. So, uh, formerly was yes. Well, but he only got to doing that ma- master class through Jessica, and doing get good through through all of that, right? And you know, Reed is uh, Mr. Beast manager. So I was able to speak with you know and get in a room with, with Reed early on before the craziness of Mr. Beast <laughs> at this point. But there's a difference between. What Reed, how Reed managed Mr. Beast versus how Jessica managed, uh, you know, Ninja. Oh, yeah. Yes. There's a night and day, um, difference. And, and, and you know, like to break it down simply, because I, I know you, you'll want me to. Um, of course. That's what I want to hear. <laughs> so the, the night and day difference between a Ninja to a Mr. Beast is this, right? Um, and I, I want to put my, my glasses on for this because again like i uh i i, I want to specifically break it like, down professor break it down well, no, no, but, um i you know given that you asked this i feel like it is worthy of a tiktok clip so uh <laughs> but the night and day difference between a mr beast and a ninja is this <laughs> jessica and and tyler have always managed the brand of ninja as a personal brand as and you know, like that is the thing, right? Is it ninja is the personality and the content is the product, right? And everything goes into that, whether it's the merchandise, whether it's the streaming deals, whether it is getting on the cover of a magazine or you know, whatever the case may be, it all centers around the personal brand, right? Now, on the other side of things with Mr. Beast and Reed and Night Media, right. You know, Mr. Beast was doing very well for himself before he ever started, like, getting into these viral trends of, like, counting to 100,000 in a live stream or any of that. Like, the people like myself who've been creating content for 10 years knew him back when he was creating Call of Duty content that no Mm -hmm. longer exists on the internet because all that, I think, has been purged. All right? So, like, that's the thing, right? Now, to put it into a a proper, like, framework is this. What Reed did it from an outside you know viewpoint is he, you know when he started talking to Jimmy is immediately saying it is great to focus on the brand but it is also very um and I, I see that you want to to uh join up here um I'll, I'll move you up after I finish this just to get my point across um the thing is is that Mr. Beast, you know, Jimmy, 
is not just a personal brand, but he's also they're making sure that they can expand the brand, right? Because eventually, Jimmy's going to get tired of doing videos. He's going to feel fatigued by it, right? And, and you know, like you know, it's a whole money making operation over there. I'll right? just say, God forbid. Yeah, yeah, well, <laughs> Well, you know, like, I think it's fair to say eventually, like, all of us get tired of making videos or all of yeah. us, you know, scale down at some point. But um, ultimately, the thing with Mr. Beast is you have to look at his trajectory. He went from making these viral videos, still makes these viral videos, to now, like, you know, when the pandemic hit, he, him and Night Media, under the guide and leadership of Reed, started expanding out vertically and horizontally with investing into businesses through night media and night ventures. And now the, you know, the venture capital fund that they, they recently raised where they can go out and wholly acquire companies in the space to generate long-term revenue. You look at what Mr. Beast did with, uh, Feastables with the Mr. Beast. That's, I, Those are taking the this brand. Is a, this is a key point. This is a key point right here. Taking the brand. And not just focusing on the content. Like, yes, the content even helped to scale the, the sales of a Mr. Beast Burger or a Feastable to the point where everyone's like, I got to have this. Like, even my mom and my sister, who are not typically, like, don't spend their time on YouTube or TikTok, were like, we've, we've got to try this, you know? Like, yeah. and, and that's one of those things, right? Like, my sister is a huge Carl Jacobs fan. I've known Carl for, you know, close to six seven years now right so like you know that's something that you know like I, I i tell people all the time is like and you know this is why you see creators focusing on like scaling or launching their own startups is so that they are very like stable right um even to give like a non-gaming or, or viral perspective, let's take a, um, a person like Sebi, right? Or Nate O'Brien, right? They're primarily lifestyle finance type of guys on, on YouTube, right? But one of the really amazing things that they did was from talking to startups in the finance space and, and, uh, and learning about the finance space and, you know, sort of lifestyle is they went and created Roadrunner Ventures, a whole venture capital company based off the success of what they've done where they've invested in the companies like Carrot and Beacons and tons of other ones that I probably don't mm -hmm. even know the name because it's all behind the syndicate, right? So, like, that's the thing is it, it's great to focus on a personal brand, but you need to be willing to expand outwards and you need to be willing to leverage a, a guy like Ninja doesn't leverage his brand other than to focus on himself, whereas Mr. Beast does it to further the growth of the overall, like, empire, right? And that's why, like, Mr. Beast has come out and said, if he was to sell off um, even just a portion of his overall company, right? Like, the, oh, like well, a portion of before, before, we, before you jump too, too deep here. Like you're talking about a pin in that real quick. And, and I want to bring I want to bring pun up because I don't want yeah. I don't want it to last go I don't want to go on too long without him getting his put his input in before we forget before we forget. So let's get him up. Yep, pun feel free to unmute. What's going on, guys? Uh nice seeing you guys again. Bring it in, man. I want to hear it. I want to hear <laughs> what you were thinking. 
Bring well, it in. I want to add to that uh, Mr. Beast Ninja topic. Um, I wouldn't even compare them just, just for the fact that Mr. Beast is, is putting in a lot more work. Uh, I mean, just just as yeah. far as the content standpoint, uh, oh. dude, he's uploading, oh, yeah. you know, he's uploading videos and literally, literally in different languages, just re-uploading the same yeah. content and just he's just mass producing content like a warehouse, like a distribution center. Yeah. And, and that's something that I've never seen Ninja even touch or, you know, even come close to. Yeah. No, that's one of the things that Night, uh, Night Media has been, like, very exceptionally good with is telling their creators, hey, make multiple channels for multiple languages. And, like, that's why, um, it, and you you know, you see this even with, like, your TBNR, um, like, pre- uh, or not, uh, not uh, Preston, but... Um, you know, the, the people that do TBNR, I, I'm forgetting their names, um, but like TBNR has become a whole production thing where literally it's like 12 different channels between games, plays, different languages, lifestyle, like all these other sorts of things. Like, and, and that's the same thing that you're seeing with like a lot of creators. Um, it, again, like the same way that a Mr. Beast is where it's like we have Mr. Beast, Mr. Beast plays, Mr. Beast shorts. Mr. Beast, Japan, Mexico, you know, um, Venezuela. So this, this, I kind of want to bring this back down to earth a little bit in, in the sense of like the advertiser's perspective, because that's all great, right? That's super great that they're creating a ton of content and then making it more accessible and everything. And I, I completely agree that Mr. Beast has, you know, taken the lion's share of, of, of like global distribution. But the reason why you, the reason why you kind of juxtapose them is because uh, as far as like mainstream acknowledgement, Ninja really got that first. So like as far as the trophy goes for that, he got that. And he was so the first one to go mainstream as far as distribution goes with the fact that he got his brand into Walmart, was selling headbands and T-shirts prior to Mr. Beast getting his Mr. Beast bar into walmart so global distribution you know ninja had that global distribution as far as a product standpoint goes first and then mr beast got it now i I see where you're coming from on that because i was going to argue from a content standpoint from a content like distribution no mr beast had had him beat before ninja could even try but you're saying from a more commercialized standpoint with, with from the people. brand like the, the overall brand of it all yeah. okay and um and so what 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 mr beast is doing actually better i think is he iterated on what ninja did now i think it's i think i could agree that ninja has been lazy since the mixer mix up to put to like kind of make a funny oh, little thing. No, i certainly agree with you i mean you know, I, now I I'll be fair to to Ninja, okay. If I got paid out sixty million dollars because a company shut down, I'm certainly going to you know kick back and relax and not have to worry as much, right? Like <laughs> I think all of us, if we were in his position, would probably do the same exact thing to some extent, right? Um, so you know, I certainly agree with that. When it comes to uh, like branding, to answer your point, Trent, um, mm-hmm. I, I'd have to go neutral on that because I'd, I'd say, you know, in terms of branding, they, I mean, they both achieved massive success. 
in like the respective fields. Mm-hmm. And like they both have made like very successful like like a branding for themselves, but it ultimately, I feel like it depends on on the individual like preference on like what you're looking to achieve when it comes to like success. Yeah, yeah they're both. How you measure it. Different. I think it's different levels and measures of success because like you look at a Mr. Beast right now, who is more about um, sort of like you know. Uh, is really focusing on entertaining and building like a massive like empire and, and or I don't even say Jimmy's really focused on building an empire. That's what Reed and and Night Media is for. But like overall, like Jimmy is so focused on trying to build across the board, and then you know Ninja is sort of someone who you know. I'm sure I know he's done some investments in different companies and stuff like that, but like really, you know, he himself ha- has not really gone and, and done like a lot of um, vertical integration or a lot of expansion from a brand and a holistic approach to where it makes sense uh, to compare the two. Yeah, it's definitely now we have to go back and look at the money. So in 2018, right, Ninja's value was higher than Mr. Beast, even though Mr. Beast had, like, number two most subscribers on YouTube. Uh, PewDiePie has always had number two. But but there was a turnover, right? So there was a turnover when PewDiePie was number one, and then that was 2018, right? Yeah, but that wasn't with – that was with uh, T-Series. Oh, wait, T-Series, right. Okay, that's right. (laughs) That was the battle. Okay, so back then, T Series and, and and PewDiePie, and then so Mr. Beast was number three. Yeah, it, I, well, I'm sure that there there's tons of channels before him. Uh, what you're talking about is how I believe he is now. Uh, Mr. Beast has overtaken PewDiePie as the most individual, why like individually subscribed YouTube channel is what well, you're talking. What I'm setting up basically is in 2018, nobody was offering Mr. Beast two billion dollars for his channel, for his brand. Sure. Oh yeah. No. no. I mean, I I certainly agree. So, where it's at today, you know, uh, there's no comparison, like pun is saying, between Ninja and Mr. Beast over the course of four years now, right? So, but. Like, it's hard to even put anybody in the same light as as Mr. Beast at this very moment. Like, if you put Meet Kevin, Meet Kevin is probably the closest because he just went live with his his ETF, right? I so, would never. I, I I'm going to be honest. I I don't respect Kevin for a lot of reasons. Um, you, you know, primarily because he's. Someone who, um, the best way to put it is really like, um, he's he's an afraid mouse. He is a scared. No, no. It's really like one one of the things is that he is someone who primarily is more of a, um, you know, like sort of the, the gray area of the attention economy, if that makes sense. Um, because, the, the, See, the thing is, I, like, I feel like you were going the direction a little bit because you were talking no, about real estate investment by esports orgs earlier to a degree. 
Yes, but the thing about it, like a meet Kevin, it, it, and you know, first off, I watch some of his videos, okay, um, but there are certain actions from him that I don't agree with. There are certain actions um, that he has done where it's like, you know, you only did this for the exposure, um, you know, or even in this case, like the the ETF, right, like. He didn't need to do that, but he did that because, like, and, and which I think is a smart thing, right? But m you know, my God, like, you know, once like the problem, is, and I think where eventually that ETF is going to bite him in the neck is that eventually he's going to end up doing something where he recommends a stock or something of that nature in that ETF or talks about it and in a good light on the channel. And then someone goes and invests in the ETF and it does poorly. And someone sues him because of that. Like, that's why you oh, don't God. feel like you're not talking to <laughs> because, Tesla. you know, it's a recommendation of a security to somebody. Right. So like, that's, that's what, you know, or like, this is why you see like, for instance, Graham Stephan and all the other guys with millennial money who like, there's been talks of like, Hey, well, you guys get sued for promoting FTX, just like a lot of these other big name, you know, athletes and influencers did, right? Um, and, and so, um, you know, the the thing also that you have to to keep in mind um, is that um, just across the board, though, like, I mean, I can see where the compare where you're coming up with the comparisons is like all you know, all these sorts of things, but I think again, like. It's very hard to compare a Mr. Beast to anybody else uh, without it coming off as sort of like a disingenuous or overhyping of the, the, you know, the tangibles. Well, you know, you have to start scaling the money in some, in some form or fashion, right? So if he's getting offered $2 billion and, and turning that down basically on, on what I'm hearing around the water cooler is that the valuation in the Mr. Beast circle is more around the $10 billion, you know, in conversation. So, what he, so, um, I, I'm trying to pull it up here. Exactly. So, um, from what I understand, um, to some extent, and I'm trying to find an article of it, but feel free to continue on with your point. Well, the point that it ends up being is like, I don't know how this even plays out, but like Elon Musk, from what we understand, his sure. uh, his his value of lifetime value is somewhere like in the $1.5 trillion range or something like that. Like it's getting up there. Like Bezos is $1.1 trillion, then he passed him, now he's at $1.5 trillion or something, richest man in the world, right? As far as influence um, on the world goes, Bezos isn't right now. I Bezos think Bezos is third or fourth. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I'm not, even, I'm not even talking about Bezos. Bezos doesn't even do content like that. But well, Elon sure. does content at the the scale that that yeah. Mr. Beast does, right? So, okay. arguably, I mean, Mr. Beast could buy a platform. Not, I don't think he will. Like I don't think that's his, his. Sure. Uh, you know, it, it it does to a degree make sense because I feel like his motivation is to make uh, to create content for his fans 
and for his fans to be happy based on the documentary by Samir and uh, the other dude's name. That and I, and I I like to add. I mean, with him, he's he's playing the long game, dude. You know. Yeah. Well, I I found the article uh, about the whole Mr. Beast thing. So mm-hmm. what happened was is that someone he knew uh, had had come to him with, with an unofficial term sheet um, for a hundred for a billion dollars if they could own the channel, the companies, and related things. Um, and you know he said that. Um, the main reason why he didn't want to do it, from my understanding, um, is that, like, re- real, uh, realistically, um, is that he doesn't want to work for his own channel, right? Like, you, you know, and, and which I, I agree. Like, I'll be honest, if I was him, um, you know, I, I certainly think that now. He actually has said that like um, ten to twenty billion dollars is something that he'd feel more comfortable with, which I think is a fair um, valuation of like Mr. Beast, all the channels, all the companies, everything in between. Like ten, you know, twenty ten to twenty billion dollars is not a uh, an unreasonable amount of money for sure. Yeah, I mean, like we're talking about like we're talking about really really yeah. just absurd things like the average content creator is getting nowhere near and that's the reason why oh, we yeah. have to kind of set the, if, set making, the stage. if you're making a quarter of a million dollars as a content creator or an influencer you're you're in a good you know uh area right you know like you're, you're good <laughs> you know, like a quarter of a million dollars from me. Um, if I like, if I was in this whole time, like you know, even a hundred thousand dollars a year would be comfortable enough for me to like live, travel, do all sorts of stuff, um, and, and like still have money left over to do certain things. Uh, if I had two hundred thousand dollars, then hey, um, I I know like I, I certainly could be doing even crazier things than what I'm doing right now. Right. Well, you got to then put that into perspective, though. And that's where, like, I think, you know, this is going to give me, like, this is going to really give me uh, some some pushback here. But that's why when I see people like Fresh and Fit Podcast talking about, like, real numbers of, like, the amount of content creators that are doing that, it's in the 3%. It's less than 3% of content creators that are doing that. Of two hundred and fifty thousand dollars a year, I believe. Right? So I the, believe Twitch came out one time and said, or or no, there was leaked data that came out from Twitch when when yeah. the Amazon got hacked. Yeah, where yeah, yeah, it was like the top one percent make as much as like a certain like like majority of people on the platform make combined, right? Yeah. <laughs> so like, I certainly agree with that. You know, but um, and, and that's certainly like a reason why I don't give a care about money um, as much like when it comes to brand deals or monetization or any of these mm-hmm. sorts of things. It's like if I wanted to make money off of different things, guaranteed there are ways I can do it, whether it's by selling courses to people, whether it's selling merch, whether it's monetizing mm-hmm. podcasts, sponsorship and affiliates. Um, you look at, I mean, what I do most of my time, which is investing in companies that are crowdfunding. 
is mm-hmm. because hey, I'm gonna get and you know equity. Um, most startups are not gonna succeed, but a lot of the ones I'm investing in have already a twenty to hundred million dollar, if not more, market cap. Like there's a company I'm about to invest into just in a couple of days that has a half a billion dollar market cap. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and that company has a like. It'll, I, I can't name the company, even though that they're a very well-established entertainment brand. I guarantee you, it would literally not surprise me if a company decided to acquire them tomorrow. Like, that is how monumental this company is, right? Um, and, and so, like, that's, you know, getting back to the whole point, you know, very briefly, like, why I just don't care about money as a content creator. It's like, money's great. Money's awesome. But do it because you love it or in the like and that's why like uh, you know i bring up the whole point with mr beast not wanting to work for his own channel is because at that point like you're not enjoying it you're an employee you're working Mm. for something else you get burned out by doing that and and so you know see this is why when i hear this uh this argument about the juxtaposition between being a um a surgeon you don't have to be a brain surgeon necessarily but being a surgeon compared to being a content creator that makes two hundred fifty thousand dollars a year right the the content creator who makes two hundred fifty thousand dollars a year is probably working as hard as a surgeon does that's making two hundred fifty thousand dollars a year maybe even more because the surgeon is more methodical and meticulous about their work than the content creator necessarily so, has to be. So, I mean, um, it depends on the type of content you're creating. So, like, if you're a mobile creator, like, creating shorts, and that's it. Like, you know, someone like how a Nas Daily is, where you just did, like, a thousand... Oh, you're, on, you're talking on the fringe line right now by going almost <laughs> yeah. towards OnlyFans conversation. Well, no, no. I'm not, I'm not even going to try to get into that. But I'm saying, you know, if you look at some of these people like Anaz Daily, who got big off of just posting you know, like a thousand shorts to Facebook and YouTube and and some of the or YouTube and TikTok and some of these other places, right? Like, you know, it it became so um, you know important, right? And, and then like um, ultimately, you know, the the thing is like. You know, like you, you mentioned, is that you know, um, or where I was trying to go with this is that depending on the niche of content that you make, it, it depends on the amount of time that you're putting in. Like someone like me, who's a content creator, like has practically sun up to sundown most days, or if not every day, to create content or stream. Like, you know, it it takes me. You know, and this is coming from someone who just does gaming content, right? Not planning out Mr. Beast or, you know, uh, other types of creator wild antics, right? Um, Like, it takes me typically an hour to, you know, film like a batch of content. You know, let's say really like, you know, 20 minutes really to film a video, like a gameplay. Then, you know... Uh, probably an hour if not more to edit that video entirely you know now i've started the process of outsourcing my thumbnails to people but even in the case like 
let's say Mr. Beast, they're spending five to six months on a single video at a time, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, even like a guy like Michael Reeves will literally only upload like one or two times a year because that video will do so well. He doesn't need to make a video a month or multiple videos a year to do it, right? Like, you know, he's the guy who made a video of literally letting goldfish pick stocks for him and the goldfish did better than the market. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely the exception, not the rule, right? But what I'm getting at is um, is that, like, you know, every niche has a certain amount of time in what you're putting towards it, whereas, like, a brain surgeon, like, I guarantee, again, like, you know, you're easily clocking in 100 hours a week, if not more, uh, doing it, right? So, like, um, or, you know, you're an on-call surgeon, which doesn't mean you're always there, but, um, well, that's, that's like the worst case scenario. Like you're an ER surgeon or something like that. I mean, don't, but, don't, I mean, don't forget the difference. I mean, just like when it comes to brain surgeon and like content creators, content creators are pretty much their own bosses. I mean, if they're not under like an org, they, they, you know, stream on their own time. they don't have to clock in at a certain time. Yeah. Oh yeah. Like that's one of the things I tell people all the time is like someone will ask me like, hey, when when can we talk? And I've told people like you can message me at two o'clock in the morning. You can message you can Discord call me two o'clock in the afternoon. I will answer because I answer to nobody. <laughs> like you know, like you know, the, that's why I own my own talent agency. I do my own deals for me, and it's but- simple as that. Right. To kind of no. package this up in, in, in a way, it's it's autonomy, right? So the difference oh, in autonomy exactly. is between I was gonna say this earlier. I actually said this to myself earlier when I was thinking. Um a lot of content creators and the reason where why you mentioned that you know brands aren't paying out uh the money that they were pre pandemic and during the pandemic and now afterwards is that a lot of content creators have quit and gone back to get a job, right? That whole get a job mantra that goes out when, you know, the naysayers of content creators say it's a lull, you know, their content's not making the same amount of money, they're over-investing in production, et cetera, et cetera. Um, you know, the naysayers say, you should go get a job. You know, go back to your day job or whatever, right? Well, so that's not necessarily why a lot of creators quit. A lot of creators quit because burnout or because, you know, the thing is, is like, can you establish long-term, like, like, do you have a long-term roadmap for yourself as a creator, right? Like, if you don't, like, let's, let's say if you're not someone who is a cosplayer being able to be invited to movie premieres, to events, to large scale like comic cons, things like that. I like what you introduced there. I like that. Yeah, you, know, keep going. you know, whether you're someone like a Taya Miller or a Straw Hat Goofy or, um, you know, like a, a really good creator who I love on TikTok is uh, Natalie, uh, Natalie Naples, right? Um, and, you know, she's the girl famous for on, on TikTok, people guessing what she does for a job. To the point where all these companies are like, you know, see, are like going to her agency behind, you know, the scenes and being like, "Hey, we'll fly her out to Dallas, he- uh, Dallas Cowboys headquarters, and have her, you know, do a video with the cheerleaders. Hey, 
will fly her to the Indianapolis Colts and let her do stuff with the mascots. Hey, we'll fly her to the LinkedIn headquarters and make her do a TikTok in front of LinkedIn headquarters or like, you know, ex- like insert brand name here because like they have an idea of like one, we can make money off of this long term by doing these brand deals, but also because it keeps it going for so very long, like to the point where like she owned an entire sound on TikTok. I'm going to backtrack real quick for, to the part where you said road map. I cannot stress this enough, dude. I like that you said have a roadmap. Um, and you know how important this is uh, just in general for esports, like owning an organization. You need a business plan. You need to know what the fuck you're going to do in the next six months and the next year. Otherwise, what are you doing? You know, you need that set, you know, you're, you're typically doing plan. what I'm doing where I just I know that things out there exist. And then I just spend the time like, and I feel like, like you and, know, and, and, go ahead. you know, one of the things that I do, like, is, is I got to a point where I was always trying to guess what bigger organizations were going to do that. Like once organizations started getting like team branded credit cards going on the stock market, I just stopped like trying to, mm-hmm. to reverse engineer or, well, I, I reverse engineer what a lot of brands do. Um, or like organizations do, but like, um, you know, getting at where I was though, is the whole factor of the matter being that realistically, um, like I don't have a roadmap for mm-hmm. my esports team because I don't need to. It's like, we've been around for you know, almost 10 years now to where it's like, I can relax and not have those stress of like, Hey, what were our, like middle of the year plans to have accomplished right like one of the things that i i've even told members over time is like hey if there's not a lot that happens between january to march please be aware it's because the yearly anniversary of the organization is coming up and i'm hoarding all the announcements all the possible things in my head until march 21st when the organization turns another year it's not that i don't have anything that i'm not doing it's that I'm not the type of person to just, you know, I, I want to make a big deal out of things. I don't plan, hey, I'm going to do this big thing. If I want something done, I'm going to go do it, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, one thing, uh, where, like autonomy is super important with myself and where like I expanded vertically with my organization is I saw, you know, like how 100 Thieves did hype, uh, hype tracks. I saw how... Um, there are streamers out there like Stallion who created uh, Streamseed or, or, or whatever it's called um, to do DMCA free music, right? And I said, how can I do that? I went and created something. I paid one of my staff guys to make a logo and that's how we came up with Battlecry. It's as simple as that. Like There was no planning into it. It was, hey, I saw someone else do it. I think it's a great business opportunity. I don't care if it makes short or long-term revenue, but I'm going to do it because it creates value. So. I am still here, I think, right? Yeah. 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 Okay. <laughs> I, was, I wasn't quite certain. I got a phone call and then. No, you're, I don't yeah, know you're how here. This works. You're here. Okay. 
Yeah, but I mean, as far as like, you know, content creator standpoints and, and, and the reason why people burn out, I mean, like I was, I was referring back. So when you were bringing up roadmap, a lot of these content creators don't have a roadmap. They don't know what they're going to do. They don't have a goal. You know what I mean? And another another reason I feel like we could contribute, I don't think it's the naysayers that are telling them to go get a job. It's the fact that a lot of people, a lot of, you know, especially, you know, with the economy right now, a lot of people can't afford to stay at home and stream and, and, and make videos all day. You know, they got, they got mm-hmm. rent to pay. They got groceries. They got, you know, they got things that they need to financial obligations. Like, and stuff, like, I know? mean, I'm, I'm 22. I live with my family still, uh, you know, mm-hmm. a couple thousand dollars in credit card debt. But even then, like my job that I have for four days a week on, on nights, like m- you know, realistically, only pays me a couple hundred bucks a week, mm-hmm. right? You know, like I could not afford to be in a place on my own where, like, rent where I live is like seven eight hundred dollars. It's tough, right? dude. I mean, for all of all of twenty twenty, dude. When I was, you know, doing. Uh, when when Alpha Dog was Alpha Dog Esports and we were in the Halo Championship mm-hmm. Series and competing, I was bootstrapping bootstrapping the entire time. I was oh, out of my own money while working seven days a week. You know what I mean? Like I yeah, was I mean, grinding my ass off just to just to just to be in the top eight. You know? Yeah, I mean, I I am right there with you. I mean, you know, I I know what it's like because Awaken from day one to now is still bootstrapped, right? Like I. Have never taken investors on it. I've had people offer me um, investment, and I've told people um, either one, you you can't afford the price that I'd be comfortable with to sell you a portion of equity, and two, uh, even if you were able, I'd still probably not because I I pride myself on um, keeping my organization bootstrapped a hundred percent. I just want to, and you want that creative freedom, and you don't, you don't you like you said you like being your own boss. I just like to kind of like interlude a little bit because well, because my thread, the thread that I posted, you know, I this is where I kind of get frustrated with the word partnerships because in my mind, a true partnership is a like a, a formal business agreement with some form of investment into uh, a company. Um, and and the, the issue with the partnership use when it comes to like um, affiliate no 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 that's the wrong word let's say the creator economy right um, no no you're correct affiliate is um, what what you're talking about with so you're you're sort of getting things mixed up what you're talking about with investment into a company is more of an equity partnership. Oh, marketing. Um, or, marketing or, or, is the word. I'm, like the more like general terminology, like larger picture. So, so you're talking about those those gaming brands that offer a discount code, but they're they're like an affiliate code, but they're not really a sponsorship. That's more of just like an affiliate marketing. Well, product. that's like a component, right? But I mean, like even partnership, like they'll use that terminology for like sponsorship, right? As well. Yeah. So it's 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 at a, it's included, but this word partner is just like really being thrown around right now in the in the marketing world and in sales sales and marketing can like together right and so so, sponsors and partnership yeah those both those words actually i think so yeah but like if you're if 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 we're really talking about partnership it should be in the form of of some formal investment right and and i hear what you're saying uh tristan and, and 
and everything that's that goes into like what it would be for the word comfortable came out of your mouth. And I completely agree with this word. And I, I use this word in almost every single negotiation that I have these days is like people will want you to do so much. And yet they're not concerned about how comfortable you are. Like, can you even do the work if you're not comfortable? Like, and maybe if you propose that that argument towards Mr. Beast, he'd laugh in your face or Jocko Willink, Joe Rogan, whoever, right? They'd be like, you're just, you know, your inner bitch or whatever is what they say. Like, you have to beat your inner bitch. But, like, dude, it's, like, it, were we entering a recession? Like, are we not going to be, like, realistic about, like, what you said earlier, Tristan? People are cutting down on their um, – influencer spend which is a component of marketing right so the company's brands are cutting down on their marketing spend you know yeah so like i i don't know if investment you know venture capital is going down any but that's from from everything that i hear people are are uh vesting less money in companies yeah yeah i mean venture there are some venture capital firms who are going and, and telling people like you have you know you have or you've had great revenue or great traction but not that great right and, and you know also i think like a lot of uh venture capital firms right now are still licking their wounds because like people revere sequoia and sequoia just got you know outed for being literally dumb with due diligence over ftx you know right, yeah. like <laughs> you know, because literally, like, I, I forget who it is that broke it, but, um, you know, someone came out with an article that, like, Sam Bankman fried while, while on an investor call, was playing League of Legends, and to them at Sequoia, they thought, like, oh, this is, like, this is the type of guy we should be investing billions of dollars into. Mm. I'm pretty sure the person who made that popular was CoffeeZilla. I don't know. No, yeah. no, no, no. This is an actual article, like, because um, this was like a mainstream news publication. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. Hmm. Because eventually, uh, it got to the point where someone asked, like, or they, you know, someone started like diving in, um, and, and found his actual like, uh, League of Legends profile. So, like, it was a mainstream news publication that broke this news at first. That like. Sequoia, like he literally would play League of Legends frequently on business meetings. Yeah. <laughs> um, but no, I mean, and I know, I know you've been relatively like silent here and there. Um, is there any like topics that you want to bring up with esports and influencers, or or one or the two? Hmm. I mean, as far as uh esports i feel like it's in a weird position right now just in terms of everything that's been going on uh like mainstream and uh, yeah. i'm kind of just taking a little bit of a backseat just to observe and, and you know see what's going on before i make any moves uh, i'm actually you know working with another company right now um just just working on on some projects for a, a different scene or mm -hmm. market i guess you would say um we we do have a, a investing uh you know, we're in talks with an investment firm. Um, so we're, 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 we're starting to get some moves going on. It's like an app that's being created. 
Uh, okay. But other than that, I've been just I've been keeping my my nose to the ground, you know, just kind of seeing what's going on with every, what you know, just the market and the overall industry. Um, you know, I noticed I noticed I, I mentioned it earlier in the in the thread or that uh, Twitter. What is it called? Twitter groups now. Communities. Um, yeah. Twitter communities. Yeah, I, I posted it earlier. I, I noticed. Uh, yeah. Uh, several, you know colleges and universities starting to do esports classes and like you know esports marketing esports communication yeah. like live events or whatever uh and i i know i got trent's take on this what do you what do you think about universities doing that like is well, this- I, I actually am for it uh if they have the right people teaching it is my big thing right like if you take for instance a guy like um alex gonzalez who you know works at Luminosity, but also is teaching esports curriculum at like Shenandoah University, then by all means, right? Like you know, unless you're having, if you're not having people who are from this space teaching an esports business course, um, or like lumping in generalized like classes into it, then by all means, right? Mm-hmm. Like this is why UCI, like a lot of people love UCI's esports management program um or certificate yeah that was actually the yeah that was actually what i was referring to actually um i saw that they had some i'm trying to remember they they had some people from the esports program over at blizzard they had um yeah like a bunch of big names over there yeah and you know they're bringing in people who are knowledgeable in the space rather than being like oh we have a bunch of professors who are going to teach you about shit Mm-hmm. You know, um, so in, I mean, this is also that, why this like, is also why you look at um, um, me- uh, mentorship programs like Enlight, which is run by Yanis Chen, mm-hmm. um, for, you know, formerly of Cloud Nine and, and Riot Games, um, who you know brings in people from all like Bryce Blum and uh, Rashid Chada from Twitter and and all these other people to educate people on the space. Um, you know, you know, granted some of these people, um, you know, ultimately, um, like for instance, um, you know, we're, we're part of that whole like esports certification Institute that <laughs> didn't go well, but, yeah. you know, um, now, I mean, I agree with you that like, I, I have taken a step back primarily from like an esports perspective in teams, even though that means that I like you know, um, having to deal with not like as many followers, um, or like you know, uh, just non-existent growth over time, or you know, a purge in followers happening. I'm perfectly okay with that, right? Um, you know, you know, because like, you know, you and I both come from the same space where you know, Call of Duty, uh, is a money pit, you know. Uh, other games like CS:GO and Rainbow Six are not as much a money pit, but it's still very hard to make money in in those games. Like I've found more value in being able to give content creators benefits like cash incentives or you know uh, in, an internal reward system uh-huh. that works better than like hey like paying everyone you know twenty thirty dollar salaries as content creators. Um, like, and that's why, like, a lot of times it's like, hey, you know, like, I'll get a creator who's like, hey, um, you know, I, you know, I want to go chase money. And I'm like, hey, all the more to you. 
mm-hmm. right? I mean, with me, it, it felt it felt more, uh, you know, when, when I was doing esports, you know, more like being involved with esports and managing a team. It, for me, it was more personal. Um, yeah, it, it was more of like I wanted to prove that I can do it. You know what I mean? Before I start doing more things in the industry, and I feel like I got that in the last two years. Yeah, I mean, like we do. We we made it to like three Halo Championship Series, top eight placings. We went up against teams like yeah. Cloud Nine, Casey Pioneers. We ended up getting invited to the Sentinels thirty thousand dollar send off yeah. Halo Five tournament. Like, dude, like I did shit that I didn't think I would be able to do ever in my lifetime when it came to esports, and I've yeah. I accomplished that within like a year or two of opening my org. You know, so now I'm kind of like taking a back seat after you know after Infinite came out, I felt kind of burnt from from three four three, just the way they were you know. Uh, treating the grassroots uh, program, they they pretty yeah. much shitted on literally all the grassroots organizations and said, you know what, we're we're gonna start taking in, you know, partnering the teams that, uh, <laughs> you know, we're gonna yeah. we're gonna partner in phase, we're gonna partner optic G two esports, all the all the all the organizations that were not around during Halo 5's downtime and contributing to the community, but we're just gonna do it because of the viewership that it brings us and and fuck yeah. the grassroots partners. Uh, so that kind of um, burned me. I still, I still regret, like, I still hate three four three for not letting in KCP because I, like, I felt as of any team they that got, oh, absolutely, like, like they had just held a a major in Kansas City where they showed up like optic at esports stadium style, and like, you know, while they didn't win it. They like they made that feel like a whole great thing, you know. They have the NFL partnerships. They have um, all all the stuff behind them, and you know, I I know Nick, and I know I knew LJ very well, and mm-hmm. and, and all them. Um, and, and you know, it, it it certainly is a blow, right, to the Halo scene. But I don't think they'll ever recover from, um, you know, when it comes down to it. So it's, I mean, certainly. it's bad. <laughs> It's it's yeah. it's it's really bad. Like I like like I still talk to the players uh, here now, but like every time I talk to them, dude, they're just their the morale. That the entire Halo scene is so down right now. It's not even funny. I, I mean, they just released Forge, and it's people still board, though, with all esports teams. You look at Call of Duty. People have a worse distrust for Activision than ever. Mm-hmm. You look at Riot. Like Riot, I. I guess Riot's actually not like the only time where I feel like Riot certainly caught heat for something that wasn't right was not allowing Optic into Valorant after placing second at a major. Like, <laughs> um, I mean, Overwatch, uh, again, Activision. I've said so many things about Activision with Overwatch that uh, I, I think there could be an entire like. Well, Mini about it. I hate to interrupt this like beautiful conversation about esports, but what do you guys think is going to be the consequence of what's happening for Microsoft and what happened for Riot in this past week? Because that's got to trickle down to esports some way. The fact that so, so I know what's happening with Microsoft, but what happened with Riot? Oh, the five hundred thirty-four million dollar um, thing that Jake Lucky broke about uh, the FTC issue of them having to pay back all the parents that kids stole their mom's credit card. Um oh you're are you talking about oh you're talking about Epic. Okay. Oh you're I said Epic. Epic I said Riot. Didn't I? 
Yeah. You don't think that's um, going to happen to the rest of Riot and all the other brands as well? I mean. No, I don't. Um, because, I mean, the, the problem is with, um, so the reason that, what, so what happened is, is that um, what Epic did is a practice of collecting personal information of children under the age of 13 without obtaining consent. Right, like that was they illegally enabled like real time voice and text communications. That's one thing, right? Like that's you know a, a whole different thing. Um, I assume what you're talking about with Microsoft is the Activ- um, Activision acquisition. Um, that I don't see there being any sort of um, problem with that, right? Um, well, I think the problem so, that they were saying was that they'd already um, they'd already done business that they're going to have to reverse based on all these exclusive titles that they said that they weren't going to make. Such a, I know Call of Duty. They said they're not making exclusive, so I don't know which one. It was definitely the, first party Bethesda games, but I don't remember. Yeah, entirely. but. The- care about Bethesda games, though. The money has to come from somewhere, though. I know I'm going to get shit for saying this, but really, does anyone care about Bethesda games? Unless you're a casual gamer, does anyone really give a care? Does Bethesda makes Elden Ring? Um... Uh, I, I'm looking up right now th- this. Um, so I'm about to say, I think a lot of people care about Bethesda if they do. So, uh, looking at it... Um, oh, no, fr- from software. Okay, yeah. So they do Elder Scrolls, Fallout, Doom. Um, Wolverine. And, but, yeah. I mean, even after, even after, you know, the hype for Elden Rings dies, then what? Um... But wait, I think it, it um are they are they apart? I don't even know. I'm pretty sure but like the the thing is though um I forget who owns uh or Zenimax owns Bethesda though. No, Bethesda or no, sorry. Elden Ring is Bandai Namco. Yeah, Elder Scrolls is owned by Microsoft. Yeah. Uh yeah. So, like, I mean, like, that's that's the thing that I'm saying is, like, you know, um, and again, you know, unless you're a casual player, none of these games really matter uh, <laughs> to this conversation. But Well, I mean, um, what I'm saying is the budget has to come from somewhere to pay that money back, right? So, sure. and well, we- so for Microsoft, Microsoft has, and pardon my language here, Microsoft has fuck you money. Right, I mean, Epic Games has fuck you money, okay? Um, like, they could violate COPPA ten times over and pay $200 million each time. And I guarantee you Epic Games would not be sweating. You know, like, that's the thing. is, And I truly believe that. 
even then, I mean, there's only so many times you can fuck up before the, you know, entire fucking industry is just against you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, ain't, ain't that the truth. Um, but no, I mean, I certainly agree uh, across the board. And, um, yeah, I, I think that, like, I mean, I will say this. I'm for the Activision merger with Microsoft. Um, yeah. I think I think first off, any way to get rid of Bobby Kotick from the, from the, the gaming industry is a good thing. Um, <laughs> you know, I think that that I mean, um, you know, it, it leaves us only one really crappy studio left, that being EA. But that's just my opinion. I feel like honestly, with the whole Activision Microsoft, I don't care as long as I still get Spider Man too. That's all I give a shit about. Honestly, one of the things that I hope um, they bring up as an argument during this like whole FTC, um, FTC lawsuit with Microsoft and Activision, it, I'd love for Microsoft's lawyers when dealing with Sony to be like, uh, excuse me, you have games like Detroit Become Human, which are PlayStation exclusives. We offered you the same deal that we did to, my, to Steam and Nintendo, and you, you guys are bitter. Right, like I remember Gabe from uh, or no, it yeah, Gabe from uh, Valve, uh, ler- like literally someone asked him or someone from from Steam, like, are you guys at all concerned about Microsoft's like ten year commitment, you know, offer yada yada, and they're like, oh, we 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 take them at our word, like we trust them, <laughs> like we don't need a contract. I, I respect what I said earlier. Fucking not not Activision Insomniac. Um. Okay. Yeah. As yeah. long as I get Spider Man Two, I'm fine. Just don't touch that. I mean, I I personally like would like to see any way for uh, from Microsoft and Xbox to make Detroit become human uh, an Xbox game officially. That's just Honestly, me. I mean, when it comes to Xbox, dude, like the last fuck. It just it doesn't feel like there's been any good exclusives for a while. No. When Halo Infinite came out. Like there hasn't been like a like, you know, like PlayStation has God of War, it has Last of Us, it has just like timeless games that are just enjoyed. Yeah. And instead over you know Microsoft we get Halo, which has been heavily criticized lately. Gears yeah. of War, which the scene is completely dead at this point. Uh yeah. what what else? Forza? Which is like, yeah, yeah. I mean, but other than that, I mean, what big exclusives does Microsoft have right now, or have you know created with? I mean, they're buying out all these studios, but where are the games? You know, like if you go to the yeah. Game Pass right now, dude, you get a bunch of shitty platformers, and it's it's. Well, I think that's one of the things that they've said with um, with the Activision merger with or um or uh, Activision acquisition is that. If Microsoft were to get it, a lot of those games would like under the Activision library that are for console would go on the Game Pass, including Call of Duty. They wouldn't hmm. be exclusive, but like um, I, I forget exactly what Phil Spencer said, but he I know that they did talk about um, Activision and uh, Game Pass a, a lot. But how would this? Okay, so Activision. You know, merging in with Microsoft, how would this affect Call of Duty, like cross-platform? 
Well, you know what okay. they're trying to okay. do, okay. right? Okay so, okay, so this is what uh, Phil Spencer said. He said, we intend to make Activision Blizzard's much-loved library of games, including Overwatch, Diablo, and Call of Duty, available in Game Pass and to grow those communities. So, like, they, they've committed to three big franchises, both in reverse and future, uh, being on Game Pass, which doesn't mean that they're exclusive, though. They, like, they've said that they're still committed to making the same versions um, of Call of Duty available on PlayStation when the game launches elsewhere. Well, th- this, this conversation is, like... There's so many different things that can be said about this conversation, but the reason why this conversation has to happen because you have to differentiate casual gaming from from competitive gaming. And, you know, Microsoft is not interested in competitive gaming. Like, look at what their moves are. They're deciding to make a partnership with, with Samsung so that all new Samsung televisions have Xbox Game Pass on them. So you get mm-hmm. an Xbox by buying a. The I mean, if you, if you look at, not even that, dude. I mean, like, I'll, I'll, I'll just speak on Halo just because it's like my specialty. But I mean, mm-hmm. even with with what three four three is doing with Halo, I mean, look, they made a TV show where the director admitted that he never even read the material; he just wanted it to be made for a new audience. You know, like the actions that they're doing, it's like they're not. You know, they're they're not doing it for the scene that's already there, the competitive players, the, the gamers that already put, you know, their time in, they're trying to, they're trying to bring in a whole different demographic of gamers. And, you know, it, it's, it's honestly, I think it's like a, like a war that's going on right now between the competitive and the casuals, because, you know, a lot of the competitive players, the esport, you know, my, you know, mine's out there, you know, we're, I mean, personally, I, I hate it. You know what I mean? It's your, um, watering down the franchises by doing that yeah no absolutely um you know and and i appreciate like all the conversation we've had on on all these things um you you know and uh you know ultimately like i i think that there you know there's some serious like follow-up conversations we could have about all of this um you, you know i mean granted we went two and a half hours with this alone which I certainly think is, you know, says a lot um, that there's so much to talk about with esports, influencers, publishers, like the whole state of affairs uh, across the board. Um, Pun, I'd love to have you on, you know, uh, my podcast and future spaces to like talk about this in more in detail. Um, because, you know, uh, one, I, I've had you on a list of people I wanted to talk to like individually for quite some time. And I just keep forgetting to reach out. So, <laughs> uh, but, you know, send the wolves after me. I don't give, uh, you know, uh, which is fair, um, y- you know. Um, but, like, you know, I certainly, again, Trent, like, I certainly appreciate, you know, you wanting to and being willing to come on and, and talk about all this. And, and the same with you, Pun. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. Um, what, what I'm going to do from here. Oh, go ahead, Trent. Oh, I was just going to say, yeah, there's a lot. I mean, there's just everything has a little bit of a contribution to like how aspiring content creators should be looking at making money or just even in, enjoying their their time in this uh, in this space. Because like you said, a lot of it is about mental health and a, a, we didn't even get into that. Oh, yeah. 
Absolutely. Um, well, again, guys, I, I really appreciate all the, the you know fun chats and stuff like that. Um, I don't want to take up too much of your guys' night because, again, we've been at the, you know, Trent, you and I have been at this for two and a half hours at this point. Yeah, um, we just haven't hit the three-hour mark yet, man. That's just, if it's a real <laughs> podcast, it goes past I, three I've hours, been right? It's <laughs> been in a very long time, let's be fair. Uh, I think the last time I did a three-hour podcast or three-hour conversation with anyone was probably back during the pandemic. So, <laughs> well, I'll tell um, you this. I'm going to get, I'm going to try and rip this before you give it to me. And I'm going to put it out and I'm going to chop it up and I'm put everybody's uh, tags on it and everything like that. But yeah, I hope that uh, I'm going to definitely promote it and everything like that and, and redistribute it and all those things as a good content creator should. So I appreciate it, man. Thank you for having me on your show and, and, uh, and everything. Follow me on, on Twitter because that's where I want everybody to go to the EBN community. And, uh, I just got a message though that's saying that like Twitter doesn't give a shit about communities. So I don't know if this is even <laughs> worth it, but you know, like it's all good. All right. Well, I'll, I'm going to let you guys get going and uh, pun, I'll reach out to you later on tonight, schedule some time with you for uh, a follow up conversation. Sounds good, man. All right. You guys take care. Later on the next one. Good night.